The stigma, the general consensus about veganism, about this dietary choice, is very radical. But today's guest has learned that through adopting a plant-based diet, well, she has learned to think in a less of a binary way. So if you've ever thought of veganism to be radical, if you are thinking of adopting a plant-based diet or cutting down your meat intake, how it is to maintain a relationship when you decide to change what you feed to your body, this episode is for you. Today's guest is Isabel Steichen, the CEO of Lupi, a purpose-driven company revolutionizing the protein plant-based space with lupini beans. She's also the host of the Plantiful podcast, certified in plant-based nutrition and in yoga. So without further ado, my name is Kevin Fernandez. Welcome to Muse. kind of want to start off with Isabel, but the younger version of Isabel and basically your relationship with food when we, when you were younger. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a very interesting question. Uh, I, I actually think about it a lot and my birthday is approaching. So I think a lot about my younger version um, <laughs> around my birthday. And, you know, I, I, I always had an interesting relationship with food, I would say, in the sense that from very young age on, I remember really struggling with the concept of eating animals. You know, you know, because you live in Luxembourg and you're familiar with the culinary traditions. In addition to having Luxembourgish family, I have a French grandmother. So food was always very important. It was very much based around tradition. And we were eating a lot of different animals and a lot of different parts. Of, of the animals. And I always thought, you know, in Europe, it's a little bit more graphic, especially now that I live in the States. I see how here you go to the grocery store and even at the butcher counter, it's not as in your face. I remember being little and going to, you know, the, the cactus with my grandmother and buying like rabbit and like kind of seeing like the pieces of it or going to the farmer's market. Um, I also studied in France and like that's, they, they had this weekly farmer's market that I would go to and it would like be the bunny rabbit with the fur and the eyeballs and everything. It was like very, very clear that this was an animal. And so to me, what was interesting as a kid is that I grew up in a really animal loving family. You know, my mom is mm-hmm. a biologist and um, we, they grew up, she grew up with dogs and we also later had dogs dogs and um, we would go to the petting zoo and, and my parents taught me to love and respect animals, but we made a very clear distinction between the animals that we love and respect and call our pets and then the animals that we ate and that landed on our plates. And I never really understood that. And my mom reminded me of this story um, when I was maybe five or so. I made these posters that said like, um, in Luxembourgish, obviously, like animals 
animals have rights. Maybe I was older than five, maybe I was eight because I, I knew how to write in German or in Luxembourgish. So, and I would walk around the house with these posters and my parents were like, what is she doing? And my brothers were teasing me because they could not care less about it. And so my mom is always joking and she says, you are kind of like vegan at heart. You always kind of, you know, you always struggle with the concept. And I, when I was a teenager, I really wanted to be vegetarian because I, I was kind of like starting to learn more about everything. And my parents were very against it. They were like, we will not be making special meals for you. It's very rude to say you don't eat something. You have to try everything. You don't want to culturally offend people. And that was really in the back of my mind. But the moment I went to university and I lived on my own, I uh, totally stopped like cooking animals. I, I became vegetarian basically. And I would still mm -hmm. consume, you know, fish at times at uh, family events, but I moved away from land animals. I still consumed eggs at the time. I still consumed cheese as a vegetarian, a lot of it, because I used to think I need to eat a lot of cheese because I need to get protein in my diet and there's no other way to do it. So so yeah, so my I think my story around food was always very much a story of um, not maybe accepting the status quo and struggling a lot with the friction that the traditions were creating with my own personal beliefs and confusion around some things that we did and practices that we did. And in hindsight, what I've a realization that I've had is really, you know, tradition is wonderful. It's great, right? It's wonderful to take things from previous generations and it helps us to stay grounded in our practices and, 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 um, kind of honor what other generations have done before us. But tradition doesn't equal right or doesn't equal good necessarily. And I realize as an adult now, we do a lot of things that are traditions that are maybe not ethically great. And a lot of generations and, you know, communities across the world have based a lot of bad things on the argument of tradition. So I was able to kind of work through that over the years. But as a kid, I, I wasn't there. And it was a lot of friction for me to consume animals, actually. And so, so yeah. Are you also like that in, in other areas of your life or, or just in the, the food industry like food I think, consumption i think it's food was maybe a catalyst for me but it mm -hmm. you know and eating plant-based being vegan even the terminology that you know i refer to myself as a vegan i'm an ethical vegan and i'm not a judgmental ethical vegan i don't really care so much about what other people do necessarily i would like to inspire other people to ask questions and make conscious choices that are based on what they really want to do and not just on um, what they think they should do or what they think they should consume. But I definitely identify, um, I definitely identify as a vegan, but I also follow a plant-based diet and I believe in eating healthy plant-based foods because I want to fuel my body with real food and not eat the vegan junk stuff. But that exactly. path towards veganism and plant-based eating has very much opened a lot of other routes in other parts of my life, you know, thinking about what else are we just accepting? What else is just kind of status quo when it comes to consumption, for example? I, you know, stopped shopping um, in fast fashion stores about five, six, seven years ago, actually around the time, like a few years after I became fully vegan, which was in 2013 when I moved to New York, because I started realizing, wait, like I am against factory farming. I should also be against humans 
being factory animals and, and factories that are producing my clothes and that are then selling for like $5. There's a reason for that. And so mm-hmm. I started being more conscious in my consumption of clothing as well and owning less, but, you know, buying things where I really was able to track where it came from. And same with packaging, which is a huge topic. I, I think, you know, in hindsight, I'm very impressed by how far along Luxembourg was compared to the United States. When I moved to New York City, you would think it's like the biggest, most liberal, advanced metropolitan place ever. Oh my God, there there was just like no recycling happening. Like in my building, I remember them just putting, they had like performa recycling bins for glass and paper and then would put it all in one bag and like throw it in a landfill basically. Wow. And that has changed over the last year since I moved here. They finally started rolling out a composting program as well in some neighborhoods, which is great. And there's more consciousness and they finally started charging for plastic bags, which they did years ago in Luxembourg. You know, people are now like moving away from straws. Like some of these things are almost funny to me because they're like such drops in the bucket but what it really represents is that there has been a change and I definitely would say that I have you know been conscious around a lot of these other pieces that are also kind of pre-given but that doesn't mean that we need to accept them as they are it's always good to ask questions I think in in all areas of your life and and being conscious around around your choices I absolutely agree on that one. But it's, it's, it's really funny how one subject can broaden our, our, our horizons in so many other things because you just started questioning one little thing. You start actually questioning other things. I always, I, lo- I love to say, uh, once you see it, you can't unsee it, but you yes. can also not see other things because yes, you start exactly. questioning everything. Yeah. What is the, the, the one th- moment did you actually did you have this one moment where you said like this realization okay this is a moment where i need to be vegan this is the moment that i want to become vegan because of this specific choice because yeah. it sounds like you have had like your experience over the years you've always been attracted to ethical standards in regards to animals but what was that one thing that made you decide to become plant based yeah, I, I actually don't think it was one thing. I think it was a progressive learning and seeing mm-hmm. and then not being able to unsee. I think there um, mm-hmm. was kind of my intuition and inclination. Then there was all the stuff that I learned in school. And I actually, when I studied in the States during undergrad, I, I went to school mostly in France for undergrad and grad school, but I did a study abroad here in the United States and I took a food and feminism class. Um, and it was mm-hmm. super interesting because we actually talked a lot about, you know, just the industrialization of, of the food system and factory farming and how it's a kind of a power thing and a domination thing of humans over animals and then the parallels with feminism of, you know, where there's domination in between genders. And it started kind of like progressively open, opening my eyes to certain things. And then in grad school, I took a lot of classes on I went to school for urban planning in grad school and took a lot of classes on feeding cities and urban metropolitan areas and just realizing how the processes were so broken and so inefficient. And one thing 
when it came to nutrition, that an analogy that I always, you know, thought about was like how inefficient it is to feed an animal so much food to then kill the animal and go back to basically getting what we could have gotten from the ground. So having this inefficient broken process and, you know, I took econ classes. So I was like, how's that, how does that make any sense? It is so inefficient to go through a middle cow or a middle pig to get to your protein basically, or your nutrients. So it was that it was also, I was vegetarian before I went vegan and I used to convince myself that that was great. And I always thought veganism was extreme, which I know a lot of people think that, but then I started learning about the dairy industry and the egg industry. And I was like, oh my God, this is again, so, so inefficient, like to kill all the male chickens because they don't lay eggs. Like, why are we creating them in the first place? Sounds like kind of absurd, very wasteful. Like just even when you detach yourself from the emotions it creates to think about ground up baby chickens, it's really like, wow, it's really wasteful to create things and destroy them straight away. And so I think it was this progressive like learning and uncovering. And then I reached that point where I couldn't unsee and where I started seeing, you know, an animal on my plate was like, it wasn't food. It wasn't, it was a dead animal. And, you know, an egg was like, it wasn't food anymore in my head. So I, I reached that point around the time when I moved to the States. And I think one big catalyst for going fully plant-based in 2013, when I moved to New York was really the environment that I was in. I did feel there was a lot of social pressure in Europe and I did live in France where culinary traditions are so tied to your identity. Mm -hmm. And I always felt like I was offending people by not eating certain things. And at the time when I lived in Paris, there were like no vegan restaurants. And I was kind of an outcast in my friends group. I didn't have any vegan friends. When I moved to New York, it felt very different because a lot of people here make dietary choices for various reasons, health, religion, ethics. People don't care. They are curious. They're, you know, There's no judgment associated with it here in New York City. The rest of America is different. But that kind of like made me realize like, okay, I can do it. I'm now in kind of a safe environment Mm -hmm. where I'm not going to be judged. I'm not going to be offending people. And I also started working. I graduated from grad school. I became like an adult in many ways. And I was like, okay, this is the right moment to do it. And, um, and I should say one more thing. And I, that, that, that I forgot about is I did do a yoga teacher training uh, just before I moved to New York. And a lot of the principles around yoga are based on a concept called ahimsa, which means no harm, no harm to yourself and no harm to others. Mm. And that definition can be very broad. But for me, it was like, okay, I can actually feel better about myself in many ways if I don't create harm. And if I go through life being conscious around the harm that I can prevent with the choices that I make as a consumer in food and fashion and beauty products, whatever. So it kind of all came together to that realization when I, when I moved here and finally transitioned fully. I absolutely love that. I absolutely love, I didn't know about the, the, the yoga definition and not, not creating harm. I absolutely love that. It's, it's so true. And in the end, it's again, you are, essentially following your values and if you have always been attracted to animal rights i guess you are just complementing and helping your values so that you create your own happiness 
Yeah, I also think, you know, it's sorry to just a tangent there, but I really think at the end of the day, it comes back to what I was saying about uh, humans dominating each other and dominating other species. And, you know, that concept of the food pyramid, for example, I find so funny. And my mom, if she listens to this as a biologist with a traditional, you know, training, she'll be like, yeah, of course there's a food pyramid and the humans are on top. No, that's just the humans that created that because like go out and try to fight with a shark or a tiger. Good luck, human. Okay, I get it. We were able to develop weapons and things like that. So at the end of the day, what it comes back to is I think a system of domination that like our society is built on, unfortunately, and we do it with each other. We do it with different species. And I would say I'm generally just want to be conscious about that. And I'm sure I do it sometimes too with others, but I want to be conscious about the fact that we humans do that and that it's maybe not necessary anymore because we have evolved to an extent where we have created a lot of wealth and resources for us collectively. Mm -hmm. So we, it's not like, you know, homo homini lupus est anymore. We don't have to like fight so hard anymore. There are a lot of resources. So we just don't, yeah, don't maybe need to create those systems anymore, but they still exist in many, many areas of our societies and lives. And so it's about being conscious about that in general, I think. Yeah, I think also that consciousness is slowly developing over the years. I mean, like mental health is one of the things that you're becoming conscious of your own, like awareness and your own things. And I think it's, we are slowly progressing, progressing towards everyone being conscious and it has been already proven. I mean, like a lot of the new generations, they are paving the way in, in that regards. And I hope that it, it will just definitely continue on, on doing, like right. just keeping on going. In, reg in regards to adopting a plant-based diet, you have been there. I have been there. What would you give someone who's listening to this and they are very inspired and they are reevaluating their own values? What would you give someone listening to this as an advice that empowers them to start a plant-based diet, but also like how can they start their own journey on that, on that end? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think my number one advice would be to not think about it in a binary way. So it's not either you're vegan or you're not, either you do it or you fail. I don't believe in that. Love that. So as I said it before, you know, I, I don't, I'm not judgmental. I literally don't care. I believe in like a liberal society where we all make our own choices. I would love to be an example to show like how it can work and maybe it will inspire people to make changes and adjustments and things that I share can be helpful. That's kind of my goal. It's not my goal to turn the world into a vegan world because I think people at the end of the day make their own choices. And I used to be way more of a binary thinker, but over the last few years, I, especially, you know, being with a husband who didn't, was not vegan, who now is vegan, but really it was his own decision to move towards that. I think it's just not good to think in that way because it's, uh, it's never going, you never actually going to be perfect at something. So having this illusion that like you can do it right, the right way, and there's a better way to do it. It's just setting you up for failure, I think inherently. So that would be my first, my first thought. The second thing is, I think starting to ask yourself why you're curious, you're interested, and any reason is a great reason. There's no better reason than another one, you know? Again, taking my husband as an example, he's an athlete, he's really into long distance running and endurance sports. And 
he actually became interested in plant-based eating purely because he wanted to feel better and enhance his performance. So that's wonderful. And that's kind of how it came into his life. And he started seeing the benefits. And now, you know, I catch him reading books about the ethics of eating animals. And I'm like, what are you doing? Um, (laughs) But that's just because that's his own path. And his, you know, decisions led him to learn other things. But it made sense for him to do this from a purely health related perspective. And I think that's really important is just ask yourself, why are you doing this? Is it for ethics? Is it for health? Is it just because you want to try it and all the reasons are, are justified reasons. And then, you know, the last piece is really like approaching it in a way that works for you. Some people like to say, I'm just going to do it cold Turkey and try it out. Some people want to transition into it and start by cutting out maybe red meat a few times a week. So it's really, again, listening to your own needs in terms of transitioning and trying out what works for you. Love that. I uh, 100% agree with everything that you, that you said. I think we can finish off the podcast. That's it. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I absolutely agree with 100% what, we, what you just said. And um, there is one thing that you, you mentioned, especially your husband. I, I, I read your uh, Plantful web, on your platform, Plantful mm-hmm. website. There is one sentence that was very intriguing. It was something in, in the in the lines of you decided to adopt a plant-based diet in 2013 and then it says your husband thought all was lost that was the sentence and i was like okay well how did you guys overcome it or how did you guys manage that decision your decision of becoming plant-based because i feel like a lot of people in, in a relationship nowadays you, you have this disagreement of what you want to eat. Uh, I can also say that a lot of people, especially masculine, like the, the men in a relationship, they, they like eating meat is something masculine yes. because I have had the situation. Totally- I've had this, this um, event once like with one of my ex-girlfriends like several, several years ago. And she definitely said like one of the deal breakers is that if you don't eat meat, like I would not like to be with a man that doesn't eat meat. So yeah, how, yeah, how yeah. did you guys transition in? How did you guys overcome this, this hurdle? It's not a hurdle, but yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it absolutely is. It can be very much, it can very much be a hurdle, but also the comment you're making is so fascinating to me. It reminds me of a talk that I went to a few years ago at NYU that was about the fact that consuming meat is so masculine. And again, it goes back to this concept of like domination and like these construct constructs that we create that you have you have to eat meat to be a real guy, but women, it's okay to be vegetarian or vegan. So it's just very, very interesting. I think actually that was hard for my husband because as an athlete, now there's a movement in the States and maybe in Europe as well. There's a lot of plant-based athletes now and Mm -hmm. more and more that are starting to become more known and that are talking about the health benefits of a plant-based diet. And a lot of them are guys. So it's starting to be destigmatized. And then, you know, there is these movies like Game Changers that came out more recently that is really highlighting a lot of guys that are plant-based and still strong and performant and amazing at what they are doing athletically. But at the time, uh, which is now almost 10 years ago, 
it did not feel that way. Also, my husband and I, we college had been only like three or four years ago. So we were still in our friend group from college. There was still a lot of the habits that, that were, you know, happening in college. And my husband, for example, he loved, um, like barbecue foods. And so he and his guy friends, they would go out and have like a bunch of wings and have beers. And like, that's just how it was. And I remember, that at that time, it would have like been impossible for him to wrap his head around, you know, not going out and doing these things socially with his friends. Um, so that was really hard for him. But I think what was harder was really the moment when I when I told him, okay, I'm, I'm kind of done with eating animals. I'm not going to cook any animals at home, but you can do what you want. I said, you know, if you want to buy eggs, make them, buy meat, make it, do it, but I will not be making them anymore for you and neither for myself. And so I think he was really sad almost because he felt like we couldn't share meals anymore, which was one of the things that we loved doing, even though I was vegetarian, there was still a lot of things that we were able to share at restaurants, which at that point he said, what are we going to do? Like, we're not, oh my God, like we won't be able to go out and share meals and what is going to kind of bring us together. And so I remember that and I, you know, it was, it was hard to hear that, but at the same time, I also felt like I needed to do the right thing for myself. And it's not like I said to him, you have to do this, or I will not accept any meat in our fridge. I just said, you do whatever you want to do. I'm not judging. I'm not, you know, I want you to make your own choices. And this is the choice that I'm making. And so for a really long time, before he transitioned to a plant-based diet, we would have friends over and, you know, I would want to cook, to cook dinner. And he'd be like, yeah, we have to, we have to make some meat because otherwise it's not a real, it's not a real meat, meat, uh, meal if we don't have meat on the table. And so I'd be like, okay, you know what, why don't you make the chicken? And so we did that for a while where he would just make the animal protein when we would have friends over. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how, how it started. And it definitely created a bit of friction, but he's also an extremely flexible and adaptable human. And he's very curious and has a really big growth mindset. So progressively he um, became interested in the topic. And then, as I mentioned, he's an athlete and that was really something that he was interested in trying out. So one day, a few years ago, like in December, he told me, okay, in January, I'm going to do a vegan challenge. I'm going to go vegan for a month. And really I joke about it, but it's true. I feel like at the time he really just wanted to prove me wrong. He wants to be like, look, I tried it. And like, nothing changed for me and that's it. <laughs> now I don't have to listen to it anymore. And, and that's it. But that's the opposite happened. He, um, he felt incredible and so great and he couldn't go back. He couldn't unsee. And so that's kind of how he then transitioned into a plant-based diet. That's amazing. Uh, I especially love the fact that it comes from a, an athlete's point of perspective. Obviously we all see like I've, I've adopted a plant-based diet for a year now and uh, like, it's, like my, my transition has been very slow. It's been like every single year on my birthday, I, I basically challenged myself for a new thing. And I started off with cutting meat, then cutting fish and then cutting all dairy. And so that's been like right. the third year now. And um, every single year, 
it, it feels like a new progression. It's like, I, I compare life as a, a video game because I used to yeah. play video games a lot and then you have like, okay, this is a star. This is helping you. And then if you see all the benefits, like in terms of sleeping, in terms of your blood, what are the things right. in your blood? And then like, you're like, okay, well, now I can't unsee it. It's just like, okay, I need yeah. to keep this yeah. going. And uh, I, I can relate it in so many areas there as well. I think for me it started also like a one 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 month challenge or something, and uh, that's that's yeah. how you learn. That's how you you keep on growing as well. Yeah, I also I mean at the end of the day, what it is a lot, it's a habit change. Like very practically speaking, exactly. You know, there's a lot of cultures in the world where people eat mostly plant based. Like there, it's not necessarily that you have to eat that way. Um, that you have to eat animals and. The other thing is we know that we can survive on a plant-based diet and we can thrive on it too, especially, you know, in places like Luxembourg or New York, where we have access to a lot of different foods and we can survive on a plant-based diet without a problem. So I think it's different if you're in other parts of the world. Um, we traveled to Kyrgyzstan a few years ago and, you know, it's a, it's an agricultural country. It's heavily based on meat and dairy. Now, very different than in any other you know country where it's all at large scale this is literally they have their cows and sheep in their backyard and there is no there's no you know vegetables and fruit like i would say seven months of the year eight months of the mm -hmm. year because it's freezing cold and so it's a very different culture it's a very different context but i think in a context that we live in in, in metropolitan areas it's pretty straightforward to do it and then at that point it's really a habit change it's like learning how to make chicken you learn how to make you know burritos and you learn how to prepare your beans and once you got it down it takes the same amount of time if not less exactly. to, to prepare a vegan meal exactly i have a question regarding again relationships because you are for me i must say you are very successful especially because you have so many different little things that you 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 had going on and you you put your like you, you put your eyes into the these little projects like your podcast your company you yoga instruction nutritionist there are so many different things that just like show growth and it's just inspiring um as you want to inspire well you have definitely inspired me and <laughs> thank you in, in 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 terms of relationships now you have a company that is successful um that is growing relationships is always something that is it's mainly talked in a negative way that it's difficult to handle your company and being in a relationship and what are the factors to have a successful relationship if one person is busy or the other person is busy depending on, on what it is so my question to you is what is one thing that keeps you guys together what do you guys have certain habits characteristics that really what are the characteristics that make your relationship successful as you've seen as you talked about the plant-based change I, i guess there are so many different things that happened like loopy as well that can be factors right. to create friction in a relationship so for me like the question is really what are the things that keep your relationship successful Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, and very, you know, on point. Loopy is the business that I launched in January of 2020. It's a Lupini bean-based snack company, and we launched our first product range a year and a half ago, so just uh, before the pandemic. Perfect, perfect timing. And I would say Loopy has been 
taking a lot of my time and bandwidth. And I have a co-founder in the business, um, Allie, who she and I, we like to refer to Loopy as our baby, like we're raising this baby, this child together. And actually related to that and to relationships, Allie just had her own baby, her human baby two weeks ago. So she's on maternity leave right now. And it's um, a single parent of Loopy right now. Um, And so I think a lot about relationship, relationships to my co-founder, relationships to my husband, when I'm spending a lot of my time right now on this business that is taking so much of my attention. And it does feel a little bit, I don't have children, but I imagine it feels a little bit like raising a child, like getting it, you know, needs a lot of attention at first and a lot of comfort and everything. And then over time it starts, you know, walking and talking and growing and, and doing its own thing. So but it does, it does require a lot. And I think last year was crazy because we launched, you know, just before a pandemic and it was extremely stressful, honestly. And we had to really rethink our strategy from the ground when, when everything shut down here in New York and and everywhere in the world. So I think what makes it work with my husband is very much that we are really good communicators and we've always been that way. I, you know, talk a lot about my feelings and what I think about things. And uh, as you, as you can, can tell, um, what I, what my beliefs are, but also kind of what my needs are. And I deeply believe that the way to build a successful relationship is to be open and to communicate, but also to be willing to compromise. Because again, it goes back to this binary thinking, you know, it's not either loopy or my relationship. It's, it has to work holistically together. And even going on this journey of building this business was something that no one I discussed at length because I had been thinking about this idea for two or three years before I actually started the business and launched the first product and had been researching it and sharing the things with him. And so he saw me work on it and grow and being able to raise money from an investor for the concept that I had developed. And he has been so supportive in that journey. Um, but also because we've been very transparent with each other where, you know, I wanted this to go. The, the good thing is Noah has a busy job too. So during the day there is, you know, no expectation that we that we uh, spend a ton of time together. And actually the pandemic has made us both work from home. So now we spend way more time together <laughs> during the day than we used to, which is phenomenal. We eat like lunch together or go on a walk, which is amazing. So I don't even know what we're going to do when we go back to offices. <laughs> but yeah, to, to go back to your question, I think communication and, and being transparent and honest and being willing to compromise is kind of the way the way to make it happen. I love that answer. Uh, you, you've talked about your baby, so let's let's get into the subject of your your baby, Loopy. And it is one thing having an idea; it is another thing managing to build something on that idea. So, how did it all start for you? And another thing, just before just before we get into the into that, Loopy beans, Lupini beans, are something. I don't know if you know that about the Portuguese. I'm Portuguese. The Portuguese culture. We eat that while we play our our traditional Portuguese card game all the time. Oh, 
That I didn't know. I, I knew that it was very common in Portugal and Italy and Greece, but I didn't realize that you were eating them during card games. That's amazing. It's, it's traditional. You have like uh, a beer and you have like your lupini beans and then you play a game. It's oh, like God. it's so the good. game in Portuguese is called Sueca. And it's literally uh -huh. you, you kind of it's you have to have them next to you when you play that game. It's always like it's a play. It's a game of four players. And um, yeah. It's, it's just, if you didn't know, well, yeah, now you know. Now I do. That is so cool. I kind of want to share that with, <laughs> on our social and tell people about how it's traditionally eaten. That is really cool. Um, yeah, well, that touches on, you know, this ingredient that clearly has been around in other cultures like Portugal and Greece and Italy. Lupini beans have been consumed for a really long time. And I was familiar with this ingredient because I grew up in Europe and I've seen it in Luxembourg, but I've also seen it a lot in other European countries over the last few years being used in some really interesting products like snacks, even meat and dairy replacements. And, you know, I spent my career professionally working for early stage startups So the plentiful, the podcast, my nutrition certification, all of that was all things that I did on the side of my full-time jobs, mm -hmm. which were for early stage tech startups, actually. So I, I hadn't really worked in the food space, but I had been spending a lot of time in my free time thinking about it and looking at it and studying it. And one thing that I was very hung up on here in the States was that my American friends and family members, while they were really interested in my plant-based diet, I kept getting this question how I was getting enough protein on a plant-based diet. And this conception that plants do not deliver in the same way or the right quality of protein. And that basically, you know, need to really count it and stay on top of it to make sure you're staying nourished and you're not, you know, going to fall apart. And I knew that that was not, that it, that is a wrong conception and it's very outdated. But I started looking at the food space and I realized a lot of the plant-based protein options in snacks, in meats, in dairy replacements, they're super processed. And a lot of times I actually don't eat them because they have like 20 ingredients, processed protein isolates, um, processed sugars, uh, added flavors. And Uh, I realized that these foods actually don't deliver on the nutrition side. They might be good transition foods because they mimic, you know, the, the animal-based version of something and they give the illusion that they are packed with protein so people shouldn't be worried. But that's, at the same time, consumers don't actually feel better when they consume them. And so I saw this vision to build the next generation of plant-based protein foods that is more wholesome, that is really centered around some of these incredibly powerful ingredients that you can find in nature that you don't have to process to get to the nutritional benefits. And that still tastes amazing and that are phenomenal for the environment. So checking all these boxes. Mm -hmm. And I saw lupini being one of those ingredients uh, that is delivering on all of these things. And I have been researching the ingredient for probably four or five years now. Um, I started talking to farmers and growers in Europe, which is where we currently source most of our lupini from for Falupi. And um, I started talking to entrepreneurs in Europe that were using the ingredient. And I felt like I was uncovering this like gem of an ingredient because it's it's a complete protein which is very rare in the plant-based space so 
it can compete with soy and American consumers are moving away from soy because of the GMO issue. And um, it has the highest concentration of plant-based protein by far, highest concentration of fiber. It's naturally low in carbohydrates. So checking all these boxes that U.S. consumers specifically are really interested in. And then it's a, a, a crazy powerful ingredient on the environmental side because it's a nitrogen fixer. It's a wonderful rotation crop. It's used a lot in regenerative agriculture. And again, American soils, way more than European soils, are totally depleted of nutrients because of all of the monoculture. So there's a real opportunity to start growing the ingredient here as well. So I saw this vision to introduce Loopy, Lupini beans, sorry, to the U.S. market and and build a brand and a platform for the ingredient here in the States because the plant-based food trends have been um, growing exponentially here in the States and consumers are shopping more and more for plant-based foods. As a matter of fact, last year during the pandemic, the fastest growing segment within the food space was the plant-based segment. Mm. And so there is this macro trend and there is this need for better protein sources. And we think that lupini beans are the answer to that. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I, I read through your, um, what is the site that you guys, where you, you pitch for investors? The Republic, Republic, the Republic. campaign. Yeah, our crowdfunding campaign. Ex yeah, Exactly. So, so, well, you can tell us a little bit about the, the crowdfunding in a bit, but my experience, I've, I've read the whole pitch and I was astonished by all the things that I didn't know. So it's, it's, it's astonishing how, um, how the Lupini bean has all these different, like, as you just said, like it's checking all the boxes and uh, I right. absolutely loved it. And marketing wise, I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful must say as well. Thank but you. yeah, um, I guess one of the ways that we can um, help Lupi is by crowdfunding. Yeah. So the context for that. So we launched our first product range, uh, Lupi Bars, last year in January of 2020. And we decided to go into a format, the bars that are very familiar to American consumers. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to educate on usage occasions. We really just educate on the ingredients. And we were, last year was crazy for us. We we shifted our focus from retail to D2C online and, and mm -hmm. created a really solid business in that way last year, selling through our website as well as Amazon and generated 90% of our revenue from that. And in that way, it's kind of a silver lining. Something happened that we didn't expect, which was building these crazy close relationships with our customers. So we get emails from people every day telling us about Loopy, what they like, what they don't like, what we should change, what we should continue doing, what next flavors we should launch. And we get reviews all the time. And that direct feedback and relationship that we were able to build with our customers is incredible. And it's so much stronger than if we had launched in retail accounts where it's way harder to get feedback. Mm -hmm. And feedback is the number one thing you want as an early stage company. You really want to understand how you adjust your offering to your consumer and what's working, what's not working. So we had raised money from established uh, venture capitalists here in the States and from a few industry angel investors over the years. And, um, and that's really wonderful. But as we were kind of thinking through the business and the next stage of the business, we, we, we think a lot about access and how we loopy, 
wants to create access to healthy, delicious plant-based foods that are truly nutritious. But we want to do the same in the way we're actually building the business and usually investing into a private company like Loopy that is mission-driven in early stage is is basically impossible for for people unless you have a lot of money because minimum check sizes are pretty large. Mm-hmm. And so Republic approached us actually last year and they are an equity crowdfunding campaign. And what they do is they um, help brands create campaigns that um, give investors, anyone, that, that basically let anyone be an investor for as little as $150. And we know that is still a lot of money for people, but it's by far less than what you typically invest at an early stage in, in a business or what the minimum check sizes look like. And what that means is that our customers, friends and family now have direct access to invest in the business and grow with the business and then benefit from that growth. And we truly believe in the democratization of crowd of um, funding and fundraising. You know, I think when you look at the stats and you think about the fact that only of venture money goes to women-owned companies and minority-owned companies. That's kind of crazy. And Mm. and then also you think about who sits on the other sides. It's mostly men again. So I think it's interesting to create a movement that lets anyone invest and grow and really puts our money where their mouth is. And that's what we're doing with our Republic campaign. I I absolutely love it. The the fact of crowdfunding is something that I've been looking into lately. And it's, it's crazy. It's cool to have this relationship with the brand as well because nowadays i feel like we are also shifting away from like a brand is just a brand but like as tiktok is showing nowadays a brand is other people behind it and if the people behind it support the brand that's the that's the number one thing and i feel like crowd crowdfunding is is one of the ways that we can actually support the brand and also like feel like we are part of something you know it's like exactly you are part of the brand you are helping them out and uh it's it doesn't need much so yeah and you know it's really about it's really about also giving back basically to our consumers because as loopy grows your investment grows and so it's a great way for people to exactly invest where their beliefs are and you know invest in mission-driven companies and co-build them with with founders that that care about about it exactly I, i have one last question i have one last question which is split into three and so I have one last question, which is split into three, but we are only changing a word in the question. And the question is, what is the lesson that you have learned that you would not have learned if you did not start podcasting, your company and your vegan journey? Ooh, that is a, that is a deep question. Or those, are, those are three deep questions. Um, what is the lesson I would have learned if I didn't start podcasting? Um, you know, it's so interesting because this is so so intertwined for me, you know, okay. like if I wouldn't have, I think I wouldn't have learned not to think in a binary way if I wouldn't have gone vegan, which sounds so contradictory because veganism can seem very binary, like we already discussed on the podcast, but actually through my personal journey and seeing how that impacted people around me and then also how it's not about being perfect and doing something in the right way. It's just about consciously making choices that is a very nuanced way of thinking that's very different than thinking there's one way to do it and it's the right way and i wouldn't have learned that if i wouldn't have transitioned to Mm -hmm. a 
plant-based or vegan diet or lifestyle myself. The podcast, you know, I, I mean, what I learned from it really was that it it inspires people to listen to other people's stories because I met all these incredible athletes and doctors and entrepreneurs uh, through the podcast and everything. They, they work across different industries, but what they have in common is that they were all plant-based. And I feel inspired when I interview these people, but I've heard from so many of our listeners, uh, you know, the same, the same reflection that it's so inspiring to hear about a plant-based doctor's journey or an athlete's journey. And again, it's uh, kind of breaking down some of these stereotypes that Mm -hmm. we have when we think about vegans and like crunchy granola people that are walking around and, you know, like just being angry. No, it's like so much more than that and so much more nuanced. And what I've learned from building Loopy, one of the big things is trust. You know, I brought a co-founder on board and, um, and I, Ali is incredible and I got so lucky finding her. Mm -hmm. She shares the same vision, but has a super, super different background and taking this idea that I had and sharing it with someone else and then co-parenting this this company with her has required a lot of trust. And I I feel like I have profound deep trust in in my co-founder in in being able to build this business together, the two of us. That's absolutely amazing. And just like you are inspired to talk to your guests, I was super inspired to talk to you. I really looked forward to this and I've learned so much. I really appreciate you taking your time to, to be on the show and I, I wish you all the best. I wish you all the best with Loopy. I, I can't wait to taste these bars, completely honest yeah. as well. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Kevin. It was so wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you liked it. And if you did, and if you know that someone that might like this conversation, please do share this conversation with that friend, that family member. Share this on your social media. Spread the word. I am tremendously grateful for every single message out there. Thank you so much for being a valuable listener. And uh, yeah, I wish you an amazing day. I wish you an amazing week. And I'll talk to you soon.